Yep, oh. looks like. There we go. Can you hear Hello. us? Oh, everybody's here. Finally. Everybody's here. Okay. <laughs> Almost 15 minutes into the show. We'll just go over 15 minutes. My recorder is Ching. going. Hmm? Chingada madre, perdón. Yeah, ya. sorry. Okay, yeah. ya, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's, that's recording. That's archiving. I got two things going at once. Excellent. That means we can start the show. Enough of the banter. Let me just do. <laughs> Maybe you know what? I'm going to do something I never do: is play something that's not the anti-ETH intro. <laughs> oh, <laughs> let's not have that. Anarchy. Whole, yeah, total anarchy. <laughs> the original one that was played for for many years on this show before I changed it. Just the just the straight out Plan Nine intro. interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso. Yeah, there's people already um, asking uh, questions and uh, come coming up with uh, comments. Wonderful on the Radio Mysterioso site. Um, so thanks for that. Uh, well, tonight we're uh, starting a the first in a series of... You guys all hear me? Okay? Totally. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's the first in a series of interviews uh, dealing with the book UFOs Reframing the Debate, which was released, I believe, a week ago, a week and a day ago on um, uh, last Saturday, and um, apparently sold pretty well for the first uh, week here. It, it was up and down in the in the charts on on Amazon and and stayed up there. I think pretty good for the first half of the week. Um, so my plan was to uh, get probably in groups of three because that seems to be mm, the most manageable. I've had up to five on the show, and there's always somebody that le- ends up being left out or left out mostly. I don't like that. So three, I thought, was a good um, a good number for uh, each of these. Uh, all the guests today have been on the show before. Um, to you know, once, twice uh, in Miguel's place case, probably four or five times. <laughs> Susan was on a few. Um, uh, about three episodes ago, we had a great talk that actually got the most likes off Facebook of any show I think ever. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. 
Wow. Yeah, although second place was taken recently by 37 likes off Facebook for the Arrival show. And you got 40. Poor Nick oh, got three. Cool. Three. So oh. I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go give him a like. Yeah, you I'm should. I'm going to go do that. You should. I'm going to go give him a like. I, I mean, I... We're all in it for the likes, you know. I just thought it was interesting because I finally, after I think a year or more of uh, not having any women on the show, I finally had Susan on because I just, you know, there was no denying having Susan on the show. So mm-hmm. so we have um, Susan Demeter St. Clair, Miles Lewis, and uh, Red Pill Junkie. And um, am I calling you uh, Red Pill or Miguel for this interview? Uh, whatever, man. Okay, I'll call you whatever, man. <laughs> so we got whatever man here. If you've listened to the show before, I mean, people here almost don't need an introduction. Uh, Miles, uh, founders of the, founder of the Anomalies Archives, Anomaly News Service. And when I met you, Miles, the original publisher of Elf Infested Space is a, a uh, important um, paranormal zine in the, in the 90s. Journal of Possible Paradigms. Yeah. Uh, Susan, I... Uh, did I introduce you properly when we were doing the show uh, last time, Susan? I thought so. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, the, the, your bio on your site is a, kind of a long bio, but the, the, the point of it is, I think, that um, you are uh, a researcher, uh, somebody who's been looking at this for many years. Um, there's a couple of websites. I mean, uh, you have SusanStClair.com and which else? Uh, well, I have my blog, and I also contribute to SciCan, uh, which is Paranormal Studies uh, and Inquiry Canada. And I have my own, I have another website too, Pararesearchers. Um, and these are just sites that I contribute to. But my main website with my research interests and goals is Susan Saint, so stclair.com. Oh, okay. So you can find out more about me there. Basically, yes, I do a lot of, I've been doing a lot of research based around my own, um, well, the impetus was my own experiences throughout life that sort of yeah. led me down this path. And, Which uh, we talked and, about, yeah. Yes, and uh, and from that, I've been doing research and um, actually experimenting with the phenomena uh, in regards to attempting to provoke it and invoke it and interact. Yeah, which so, is exactly what we've been trying to push on this show, too. Do you know why uh, I don't have a huge bio on you? It's because you're one of those people that's doing important work and don't come out and say, look what I'm doing, which makes mm-hmm. it all the more important. And you know, a, a lot of people that are doing good, important, impactful work don't really say too much. And I think that's a good thing. I don't think they should. It's nice well, when somebody like Susan can come out of the, the, you know, from, from behind the curtain and talk to us once in a while. Yeah, well, that's part of, I think, the, um, the the experimentation part is that it has to be somewhat done in a stealth mode. Right. Um, and, and we can get more into that later on. I think you understand where I'm coming from because we're doing similar work. Yeah. Um, yeah. If what so. I'm doing can be called work, but uh, mostly, mostly I'm cheerleading, but... Um Miguel, all all I know about Miguel is that he's an incredibly great artist, a really good friend, um, and um, in the course of all the interviews we've had on here, found out that uh, he's kind of gone down the same path as me and a lot of people that have been on this show in regards to basically what you wrote about in the book. It's kind of the UFO thing is kind of a, what a personal alchemy. And his name's getting out there a little bit more. I think he, you write for Daily Grail, and um, is there another site you write for too? Well, I tend to write for Mysterious Universe also, That's and right. I used to write for 
uh, when uh, Scotty Roberts had the um, Intrepid Magazine's blog. Yeah. And where he invited a, a, a set of um, people to contribute on it. I was one of those people. And I, uh, I, I wrote for him in that uh, blog, but unfortunately, uh, apparently the, the blog has uh, disappeared. Uh, oh. It doesn't. It, it has no longer a, an online presence. So I'm thinking that the the essays that I uh, contributed for for that particular blog, I should try to uh, upload it once more for uh, a personal. Uh, web page that I'm starting to build. All right, right. That that is called uh, absurd absurdbydesign.com. I told myself, you, you know, I need to create this website that I had thought about it way before uh, the the UFO reframing the debate project came about. Mm-hmm. I thought about creating this website for my own and. You know, I, I I dared myself to say, well, you know, before this book is <laughs> finally released, I need to create the website. So so when uh, Robbie Graham, you know, the editor of UFO Re- Reframing the Debate, asked the contributors to uh, fill in or, or give some kind of like uh, author's bio, you know, for for each contributors. Yeah, I decided myself to dare myself and, 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 and put, okay, so I will put the this URL that I had uh, secured, you know, I had secured the domain like two years ago, even though I had I had done nothing with it, you know, prior yeah. to that. I've done that with two or three domains I purchased. I haven't, I haven't done anything with them. One of them was flyingsaucermusic.com. <laughs> That's good. But use, uh, I like you that use one. His, his article. Yeah. So when the book was finally released, and, and, and it was actually released prior to the official release, if I'm not mistaken, it was May the 29th that it was going to be the official release of the book. Mm-hmm. When it was released prior to that, I was forced, you know, to to do to. <laughs> To try to put something, you know. Otherwise, we know some people might be compelled to 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 write absurdbydesign.com and they will find nothing. So, yeah. that, at least they will find something. I'm I'm sure it's not like the best uh, website ever, but at least it's something. You know, it's something of a. I'm I'm stri- I'm trying to create this foothold on on the internet. That yeah, is well, going to you- be- yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. This is going to be like my own website of, of my own. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it. But whatever it is, is I know it, it It will be something that is mainly influenced by this wonderful project that we were a part of. Yeah, the um the the other part of getting your website up is I was trying to um I was actually 
uh, ahead of the Coast to Coast interview, I was trying to get um, Miguel to give us a, a graphic to put up there that wasn't the standard graphic because it's nice to have a, a, a custom graphic up for a show. So I sent that into the webmaster and he slapped it up there real quick the day before the the, or the morning of the show, actually. So um, I don't know. It's more eye-catching than the normal stuff they pull off of uh, Getty images. So it was nice to have that up there. Anyway, we... All were contacted by Robbie Graham about probably what a year ago now. Yeah, um, yeah, give or take. Yeah, to uh, t- to tackle this project, he thought it'd be a good project because of the problems he saw and things he wanted to see. And it turned out most of the people in the book, in fact, all of them, in different ways, wanted to see some kind of change in the UFO conversation. And I've already seen reviews or at least people saying things like, um, well, you know, there's how, how is this anything new without even reading the book? Um, and how is it going to change anything? And, you know, maybe that's the first question I put to you guys. I mean, whoever wants to answer it, what's, what's new in this book? How does it reframe the debate? I would say that it's reframing the debate by – Looking outside of what is popular within ufology, which is either that it's nothing, that people are just misidentifying, so that would be like the nil or null hypothesis, versus the ETH. And the ETH seems to be the other dominant sort of idea. I mean, there are these, these, some of these ideas, especially the ones that I discuss in regards to parapsychology and parapsychological phenomena as being part of ufo experience is is not new and and it was discussed already in the 70s but Mm -hmm. it seemed to have kind of gone away like something happened in the 80s where focus from that sort of went away and uh, it really it kind of was left behind i think so in that sense i think with all of the the um essays we're all coming at it from very different sort of angles some of us are a little more similar i think um but they're all sort of away from what would be considered the main points of view in uh, popular UFO culture, I guess, if you want to call it that. If that makes sense. Yeah, makes like, total I mean, sense. I don't want to give too much away from, from the book, but I mean... We can give... Yeah. You know, my idea about having uh, book interviews, I get very annoyed when people say, well, you're going to have to read the book to see that. It's like, you know what? If somebody's interested enough in what we say, I think we can say... I'm. Uh, I've pretty much spilled the entire, you know, contents of my essay in various interviews just because, you know, it's it's like if somebody wants to see it all in one place, they can go ahead and get the book. And the thing is, we've only got three of us here. I'm going to try and get through all the authors. But, mm-hmm. um, the, the you know, I think, you know, I don't think we can we really have to hold back in what we're discussing, what we think, what's in the book, what we discuss in the book, because I think um, you can't possibly unless you read the thing out loud <laughs> from beginning to end. You don't really get the whole, you know, I, uh, um, I just, idea, the whole idea of the essay and the whole uh, grasp, the entire, you know, what somebody's trying to say unless you read it, because spoken is much different than written. So we're trying to get people interested in it. Um, what I want to do is talk about some of the things you guys wrote about, and um, you know how can it, you know how does it affect people's thought? How does it affect our thought? What do we think is going to happen? There's another question from all, for all of you, um, may, maybe Miles, I guess. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with this book? What do you think people are going to? Um, what are they going to be their opinions? And um, w- will it change anything at all? 
And do you well, care? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> There's a lot of ironies in the things you just said from uh, the what's new in this. And for me, um, you know, I, I've already seen, as uh, you referred to, and I know Susan's seen, um, some response that's like, oh, well, it sounds like it's just ideas uh, from the past. And for me, that that's actually what I had originally intended was to write this fresh new uh, essay basically focusing on the importance of looking back. Uh, to, in order to go forward and the importance of archives and acknowledging the past and the history, whether you dif- disagree uh, with the theories uh, and interpretations that have come before, um, it's important to know your past to, to, to move forward effectively. Um, the effect, though, I think is what we've already seen that the, uh, for those uh, who are already well versed in this field, it's not necessarily going to feel like there's something new in there, um, uh, I've I've seen some criticism uh, of just you know so many of the things that we're like saying you know you need to go back to the basics uh, of right. just understanding the nature of human the nature of human perception and yep. the nature of not leading witnesses and the nature of uh, base facts about scientific psychic research and how that could influence uh, just you know regular nuts and bolts approaches uh, to the phenomena. So my hope is not so much that we're going to affect change on those people that I think need it the most, who are, are the dinosaurs in the field, who are still hooked into a religion, it seems, yeah. um, uh, belief systems, or the enemy. Uh, but <laughs> the, I think the, the, the optimism for me is, is in the, the long term. I, you know, I certainly hope this uh, is the kind of book that gets passed around. Um, given to people who like some, you know, somebody who's into UFOs has this book, whatever they think of it, somebody else comes to them and is like, Hey, you know, I'm interested in the subject, but you know, I've heard all this other stuff that I don't know what to, whether to believe or not. And this is the kind of book that is a great gateway drug to mm-hmm. this phenomenon because it's, it is not marred down in one single interpretation or one grouping of interpretations. There's a lot of dovetailing and overlapping amongst the different essays, even though we're all uh, coming from different perspectives, some of us very dramatically so. You know, we've got uh, a, a couple of, uh, and others, a very more traditional, hardcore, skeptic debunker types, and, uh, and, and they would, you know, rightly, compared to them, describe me as a believer but i think the 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 benefit is even the the hardcore dinosaurs who uh, are going to go though there's nothing new in this um or oh i look this is, sounds like you know a repetition of the 70s or in the new age spiritual paranormal interpretation of these things i think they too it could you know sink in and have some uh, effect and change over time that's it's all for the long haul man yeah exactly uh, uh, well miguel what do you think would be what what would be the best outcome you could think of of the long-term exposure of this book to i don't know to the audience that's uh, that's uh, picking up on it now <sighs> what would be your biggest uh, hope that that the, the the influence of all these different uh, essays and points of view would be well i don't know i mean i i, I read Esmail's essay which is kind of like uh so steeped in 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 all these obscure references that i I humbly admit that I had no, absolutely no knowledge that they existed. You he know, is an archivist. <laughs> exactly. Those all these books that I know that I haven't read, and and and, and Esmael's were was referencing on his essay, well, and I we'll was talk like, about oh, his shit. essay. We'll get to it, and you'll you'll hear some more. Sure, but the thing is that 
you know, the, the outcome that I will uh, expect is that someone just like me will say, oh, my God, you know, I need to to try to look out for these books, you know, if, if I can find them on, either on Amazon or on online. So, I don't know, by the end of the day, this is a very cyclical, very, uh, I don't know, whimsical field, you know. Mm-hmm. It goes through these ebbs and flows that are very heavily influenced by the culture, by the, the, the current zeitgeist, you know, and God knows that <laughs> the current zeitgeist is very uh, steeped in high strangeness, you know, of its own. <laughs> so, I, I don't know, So I think I've told you in, in, a, in a previous interview, my, my soul hope is that someone might some 18, 15 year old kid or girl would find this book at some point, you know, after being maybe being bullied in the in the, in the school yard you know, and then finding some refuge in, in, in the school library and, and they find this book and they, they start to read it and so sooner or later you know, that it, it, it creates all this, you know major paradigm shift in them right you know and and, and then they start to question everything you know and then and they start this uh personal this very deep and 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 deeply personal journey in them in search for answers i'm not searching for a collective uh paradigm shift i'm searching for a individual paradigm shift you know some individuals who might resonate with which with what we the contributors uh shared or or you know put forth in this book you know because i feel that in the end that that is the way that the world would change you know not by some major uh, societal change but by or or maybe uh, let me rephrase that. <laughs> Societal changes start with individual shifts. Right. Yeah, I think that's what the, the, the book would probably... I don't think it's going to start a movement or anything like that. For, for my part, I think what it'll do, as Miguel was saying, is um, individuals will read it, and just as we have, and we're talking on this show, and we all know each other, and I know all of you personally and your friends, you find... You find other people that have sort of the same similar ideas, and you find out that um, while you, you know, in the particulars, you might not be agreeing on things, that in in the general way, you think, well, things aren't what they seem, things aren't what people say they are, and also, probably most importantly, the loudest person is not always often the right person, and that's all you hear, especially when you first get into any kind of field, especially the weirdness of UFOs and the paranormal, you hear the loudest and most charismatic people. Um, they often don't really, they're, they're not really, um, what's the word? I think their ego's wrapped up in it and their idea that, you know, if I give people what they want and what people like, not necessarily where the data is leading me, that will sustain my, my visibility and I'll have, you know, a name for myself and all that. That, I think that um, this book speaks to people that are not on that path. 
and that uh, eventually um, those pe- the people that are reading this book that have incredible ideas that are you know even way more advanced than anybody in the book will come together and they will start something. Um, when people ask me, you know, what do you, you know, what do you think about your writing? What do you think it does? I like, I think it's cheerleading. It's just, it's trying to get a conversation started. If we can get interesting people standing in the room having the conversation, just like with this book and on the show right now, I think that interests and ideas and change will accrete just naturally because people like, you know, at least uh, uh, smart, fun people like new things, you know, and. Uh, that's what will push it forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's part of it is we're all coming at this from different perspectives, but we're, we're building on things that exist already. We're citing sources and we're building and hopefully people will build from what we've put together as well. And, and I think they will. I'm actually very optimistic about the book. Um, I'm more optimistic now than I was before Robbie Graham contacted all of us. And I, I love all the essays. I mean, some of them I feel a little bit more personally close to. Yeah. Um, certainly Miguel's. I love your anarchy. Your anarchy. We're anarchists together. Uh, <laughs> I, see, I see the chaos. I see the chaos in all this. Oh, um, and, and I love yours too. Um, especially like I, I learned a lot more about MK Ultra through you and the conspiracies and and that and uh, you That's know miles, I, I feel I'm learning from the book. And even though I'm not sharing perhaps everything like as far as a perspective or where I'm coming from, I think we're building together something that is going to be built upon and inspiring to others who, like you said, maybe have become tired and disenfranchised with the the mainstream sort of ideas of, of what UFOs might be. Yeah. That's you think, what I think. Yeah. yeah. Do you think, well, I already asked that. Do you think it'll change anything? I would think that it will, but just in the way I was saying, in a sub Rosa way where it's, uh, mm. it, uh, somebody says, hey, I, I never thought of that. And then that's the spark. That's the spark that starts the fire in their brain or, you know, yes. brings a whole bunch of people together or brings us together or, or brings people together with us to do a volume two someday. Who knows? But yeah, just we're the middle, right? We're the middle kind of the I forget how you 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 phrase it. We're the I don't know. Middle. The forgotten middle people. The excluded middle. <laughs> the excluded middle. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, that I agree with you. I don't think it's going to really radically change anything. I think that the the skeptical side and the, the two true believer ETH kind of side provide a sort of form of structure while the, the, the phenomena itself is an anti-structure. And well, I, think, I think they're providing the structure for, for the, the, the whole subject in itself because they're very rigid in their thinking. Like you're not going to... You're not going to change people that are so, so uh, they are, they feel they're correct or they feel they already have all the answers. Mm-hmm. So, but, but maybe there are others out there who are going to search and they're going to, they're going to begin questioning and maybe, you know, building off of, of some of what we've written collectively in the book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Miles? So I think that, that's exciting. Yeah. Miles, you were going to say something. What, what were you going to say? I just the I, I I've heard it suggested that it only takes like five percent of a population to make a tipping point, uh, you know, 
her. And I've often wondered about that in the in the, the nature of the UFO phenomena and the in the idea of it as a control system of some variety. And if if it's that grassroots uh, connection, you know, with this this phenomena that it, uh, as uh, uh, Red Pill talked about his article, um, the that the, it it chews the 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 in the existing structure it's anti-structural and um uh it it's ufo represents the ultimate countercultural topic it is it is the you know charles fortian uh uh index to all and it's the gateway to so much uh anti-establishment and and so the phenomenon itself is already that. And I think this book actually feeds into that because it's peppered with, you know, raw, basic, good scientific dogmatism uh, with a really, really healthy dose of the, the psychological and psychic uh, uh, perceptual uh, import of understanding these phenomena. And so I think it, it might be just... It, like I'm not getting my hopes up, but you know, cause I've just, I'm so disenchanted honestly from, uh, <laughs> uh my experience in this field. But it, despite that, I, it's like, I go through, you know, those doldrums and it's, uh, it, it's cyclical and I get re-energized. And, um, as Susan said, before this group of people came together for this project, uh, I was perhaps a little more, um, Cynical? <laughs> skeptical, yeah. cynical, and skeptical uh, that that some some change can be effective, but this and other projects I think are working at a much more subtle level than just oh, here's a, here's you know more than a dozen people who have the same idea and they think this is the truth. No, <laughs> these are you know uh, more than a dozen perspectives that again overlap and dovetail in some ways, but differ differ in others that I think will challenge and uh provoke um so i'm hopeful yeah i am too um i was just i saw my friend uh, richard saraday today he's a co-host or used to because don ecker has said he's um uh dark, dark matters radio is on hiatus for an indeterminate amount of time but um mm. what i i was talking to him about our attitude towards the paranormal and about UFOs in particular and what, and almost speaking to Miguel's thing about, you know, personal alchemy. Um, and last night, the, the relevance of this is last night, um, Sigrid and I went to a lecture at the Pacifica Institute up there where she's uh, getting her degree. Um, there was a guy there. He was a Jungian um, psychologist. And what he did was lecture for two hours about the lyrics of Leonard Cohen. I don't even hmm. listen to Leonard Cohen. I don't know much about him. Uh, I know about some of his music, but he explicated all his lyrics. One of the lines in one of the lyrics really affected me, and I told this to Richard, and he said, this is, this is exactly how we should be acting with a lot of this, or even in life. And the line was, you live your life as if it's serious. Hmm. And... I think that's a huge key. If you take some of this stuff too seriously, you're attention and your focus and your what's it your your the spectrum begins to narrow quite a bit um when i hear people saying you know things and they've got a very sour look on their or a dour look on their face i kind of pull back but if somebody's saying something no matter how insane it is and they're smiling and laughing or saying look this is the dumbest thing i've ever heard but this is what i think i'm more inclined to listen to them because they're having fun with it and they're not taking it too damn seriously and i don't think the phenomena wants us to take it seriously 
even though it does want mm-hmm. us to take it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> it wants us to take it seriously, but not too much, I think. Yeah, That's just that. like Herbert That's Shermer, that. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even us, but not too much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Has anybody ever been... Because uh, um, Josh Cutchin got really down on me for this when I told him. And because I'm all about um, complete uh, openness, or I try to be, I, you, I... Um, other people, I think, well, I don't know about you guys, but I've been quoting that for years, that, that Herbert Shermer's uh, um, uh, abductors or whatever they are, uh, Ashland, Nebraska, 1960, what was it, seven oh, or something? Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Left him with the, the phrase, we want you to believe in us, but not too much. Mm-hmm. Yes. I've never been able, I think I got that from Robert Anton Wilson. I don't know where he got it from, and I've never been able to actually find out I mean, find a specific instance where he actually said that. I've got a lecture that he gave uh, that I've got a recording of, and he sort of gets near it, but he doesn't actually say that. So if anybody listening or any of you guys know where the, if that's an actual quote, that'd be great to know. The fact is, it's a great quote whether he said it or not. <laughs> but I will admit that I don't know if for sure if he actually ever said that you know, specific line. We want, you know, the, 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 whoever those beings were told, uh, told him, we want you to believe in us, but not too much. I mean, that should be uh, that I, that's the next t-shirt in my store. I think (laughs) that would be a great t-shirt. Yeah. This danger of John Keel, you know, and, and journalists being investigators of such important phenomena and not being afraid to uh, occasionally make up the data. Yeah, I, I hope we can find a, an actual citation for somebody having a direct quote of that because I too was that like I think I probably got it from Wilson as well. Yeah, I'm still looking. Like I said, I've uh, I've got a I've, I, I guess I'll listen to the lecture again. I've got a, I've actually got a lec him. Where is it? I don't know who he was talking to, but it's a like a hour long lecture. Herbert Shermer saying this is what happened to me. This is what happened after, which is really dramatic he's kind of like you know he lost his job people were making fun of him um i don't know if he lost his girlfriend i don't know uh that somebody um like hanged him in effigy when he came back from uh came back to town from being away for a while it was really bad for him just like oh. dale spar and the and the ohio ufo chase the, the the ufo that he ended up calling floyd i think <laughs> it's a very transformative thing so um you know, did, did, did that, did, you know, if they actually said that to him, did that screw the whole experience screwed him up? But, you know, did, you know, if you can't being a law enforcement person, what if you don't believe in anything too much? It's 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 um, destabilizing the, the UFO thing. Getting back to the witnesses is destabilizing and people don't really address that. No, because yeah. most people focus on um, what happened in the experience as far as like the what that was seen or experienced and not the, the experiencer themselves. This is what I have found anyway. It's more about, you know, the spaceship or whatever and, and not what goes on afterwards. And when you do look at these people, they often have a destabilized effect after or they have a paradigm shift or, but I mean, I don't think enough has been done with that. I think it's it's a good area to focus and like what what occurs with people, you know. Right. Because it and does enact change, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have an experience like that and then just you know, oh, it's nothing. It's right. it's something. 
yeah. What, what were you going to say, Miles? Well, it just I'm I'm fascinated by how uh, in some cases, like where there's two witnesses who see not even a real true close encounter, but just a distant light, and one person like is completely moved and has a transformational experience. Whether or not it's actually, I mean, even without having some kind of out of body or uh, abduction experience, but whereas the other person, you know, no no memory of anything else and no no apparent interest. That in so many cases you have like people who are witnesses or in the vehicle or the house uh, with the the person who's reporting this to you, but they it never was it never affected them in any kind of like oh home whatever kind of way. And that that uh, juxtaposition of of amazing response and no response, um, but it it so with with the experiencers and abductees that I encountered through the local support group um, and meetings, uh, it it seemed to play out in a, a pretty classic thirty 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 three thirty three thirty three point three uh, split. <laughs> yeah. um, where you know, it, you know, positive, negative, and uh, indeterminate, or or at least maybe opening them up to some other uh, possibilities. I mean, you you know, you have this kind of experience, and, and either you totally just like forget about it, rep- whether or not you're actually repressing it, you're just like eh, it's just not interesting, or it, you're actually just like oh, it's too weird, I can't even deal with it, or you know, the person who's like, wow, this is holy moly, this is amazing. Yeah, well, it's the other thing that uh, um, I noticed. I don't know. I don't know if I'm wrong here, but it seems that the closer the you know I've, other people notice this way before me, the closer the encounter, the more that somebody is affected, the more mm-hmm. that their life is affected, the more their psyche is affected, the more their you know relationships, belief systems, all that are turned upside down. The closer something is, um, and it doesn't and the- even have to be some interaction where you know beings come out or whatever. But when the thing is 500 feet or less, the close encounter that seems to engender far more. Um, changes than just lights in the sky or a daylight disc or whatever. Yeah, if it's if it's got a felt physical presence, like you you feel like it's not just like oh it's way over there it might see me, but it's right here and it's totally looking at me. You know, there's something that I wanted to propose to you guys or ask to you guys um, during these roundtables. So we released. Uh, this book, UFO Reframing the Debate, in the summer of 2017. And we know that in the summer of two, uh, 1947, when the <laughs> uh, proper, you know, official uh, age of, of, of uh, UFO silence started, right? So, modern. exactly, the modern age of UFOs. So what I wanted to propose to you guys as a, as a thought experiment is imagine if the UFO phenomenon properly started not in the summer of 1947, but in the summer of 2017, like right now. You know, right now is when we started to receive a report of these weird things seen by things in the sky by, by, by people in the sky you know uh, like Kenneth Arnold sighting happened like last week right? Yeah. So, That's interesting. My question to you will be Greg especially to you Greg <gasps> if you were to try to start a group or some kind of like uh, agency 
focused on trying to investigate this new phenomenon, what would you propose? What will be your focus and what would you try to come up as a, as a, as a proper methodo, me, uh, methodo, methodological uh, methodology? Yeah. Exactly. A methodological method? Um, <laughs> yes, sorry. Well, see, there's so many things going on in there. If we did not have the perspective that we had over the last 60 years, yeah, exactly. my answer would be different. But mm-hmm, exactly. I'm trying to think if we didn't have the perspective and if I wasn't, you know, if it was my dream thing to do, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to figure out, you know, it's hard to divorce myself from the history of the subject and my history with it um, mm-hmm. and the people I've talked to and the people I've been influenced by, all that. The only thing I could think was if, you know, we had total freedom to look at whatever it is, which we would not. The first thing would be make no assumptions. The second thing would be if people are going to look at it, keep it out of the news as much as possible, which would be, all, which would be impossible. Of course. I sound like a government person now, don't I? <laughs> You're spook! Yeah. But what affects the, the, the study too much is, you know, and I think I've said this before, is assumptions, ego, and a, you know, everything else that follows from those things. So if you make no assumptions about the subject, if you make no assumptions about what is seen or what happened, and you talk to people, and you know, I guess you can pick up uh, uh, debris or whatever it is, if you assume that Roswell was some alien thing, if it was, and also assume that, uh, well, make no assumptions. And um, mm-hmm. send these things and these artifacts and uh, whatever you find to people that have no idea what you're giving to them, give them no background whatsoever and ask them to tell you what they think this, this stuff is, what it's made of and where they, where it, you know, if they know of any source for that kind of stuff, if, if they did actually have some kind of physical whatever. And also anybody that goes out and talks to them, basically the quest, the three questions are what were you doing? What happened and what happened afterwards? Those three simple questions. <laughs> That's a very simplistic answer, and it's it's a completely affected by my prejudices and things that I've been saying for a while. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, I cannot divorce myself from the from the uh, effectively from my personality, my culture, everybody I know, and everybody I've talked to. But to be able to do that, I think you have to drop assumptions. The other thing I said in my lecture, I think, was and in the in the essay was. I guess the perfect attitude to UFO study is complete interest in total agnosticism. And I, I, I think that should guide whatever, um, whatever group would uh, be studying this crash or whatever it is. How about you guys? I mean, I, it was kind of a convoluted, uh, crazy, confused answer. But uh, what about um, either uh, any of you? Uh, actually, all of you. Why, why doesn't Susan answer first? I, I'm just kind of contemplating how the phenomena might display itself if it was to first appear on the scene in 2017 as opposed to 1947 as a modern benchmark for UFOs when we first really start seeing the, the spaceships. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a really interesting question. It's very difficult to, like you said, kind of remove yourself one. from history. It's an excellent, excellent thought experiment. Um I guess for for my perspective, I would say you, it, it's it's such a complex issue. 
I, I think that we need everything that we can being thrown sort of at the at the fridge and seeing what sticks. We need hard <laughs> scientists. We need humanities. We yes. need social scientists. We need artists. Mm -hmm. um, we need magicians. We need all sorts of different types of people coming together yeah. and giving their ideas as to what might be going on. If we're going to try and come up with some sort of an understanding, um, if not an answer, I don't think there is going to be any one answer for us. I think it's, yeah. it's always one step ahead. But I think that's, that would be the ultimate idea. And I wouldn't necessarily have a group, but then this is because I have the hindsight of, of, mm. of larger groups not really working too well. But yeah. more of individuals mm. that come together maybe, maybe come together in sort of like that sort of uh, quiet workshops or that sort of thing and sharing ideas and, and maybe moving forward that way. And plus now we have this, this great tool uh, where we can build, you know, vast databases. But I think we need better questions, and I think we need to pool more information and more data if we're going to be doing data mining uh, as far as UFOs are concerned. Um, uh, people tend to ask very um, uh, simplistic questions. I think we can do better, and I think we can put more information together. Uh, um, that's my thought anyway. Okay, excellent. I, I, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's uh, as usual when I have people on the show that I know, talk to, and like, they basically take uh, ideas I have, elaborate on them much better, and go into areas I never would have, and I nod a lot, so thanks. <laughs> Especially <laughs> when you said, you know, because I've said, uh, or at least hinted at it, artists and musicians. Who yeah. the hell wants artists and musicians around UFO study? Me and you. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and Miguel, and, and yeah, probably mm -hmm. just about half the people in the book or more. Yeah. What about Miles? How would you answer uh, Miguel's question? Lordy. Um, <laughs> exactly. I'm going to try to be coherent here. Um, yeah, I wasn't. So please, you be coherent in the way that uh, uh, Susan was, please. Um, <laughs> if it, it, I, I, think, I think that the phenomena manifest uh, in a variety of ways that are dependent upon the culture it's occurring within. I think that's a, th a theme that's replete in many of, of the essays, an acknowledgement of that. And so if something, if this is, uh, if this is the birth of the new modern anomaly manifestation phenomena, whatever the people of 2017 might call something that they've never seen before, if it's, akin to the UFO phenomena, it's likely going to be a, a, a sense of contact with an alien other and a probable uh, manifestation in some kind of luminous ball or craft or technology object. And th that the same way it's manifested as we know from our studies all throughout uh, human history in various epochs and the, the, the descriptions that we have to go on, I think it would be what we probably are not yet seeing fully as something that people would identify as a wave of weirdness uh, like the 1947 flap was yet, though maybe these grinning men and mass amok horrible murder incidents might have something to do with it. Who God knows. I hope that's not where this is going. But um, the... The, the manifestations would be people experiencing, uh, wow, you know, this ball of light came out of my my smartphone and into my forehead. I knew the universe, and I saw visions of 
uh, crystal mantises that told me, you know, uh, the same kind of things that we've seen and heard in our, our fairly late postmodern 1990s onward uh, uh, examples of weirdness that's not in the classic sense of flying saucers landing in front of our cars, installing those vehicles and, and pe- pe- beings getting out and doing soil samples and stuff like that. I, if if some if it manifests in a, the trappings of the day, it's going to be even weirder, and it's not going to be as I, I would think as identifiable as flying discs. And um, again, you know, tra- tag and release, <laughs> close encounter abduction type stuff. Um, but how to respond to that? Um, the data collection again. We've got so much data; it's just we don't have any actual information, and that's that's Valet's thing. Is like, got databases in the out the wazoo. It's just a matter of also doing the right analysis, and we are there. I mean, hey, we may have just had uh, you know several elections around the world manipulated by social algorithms of social media and and uh, and conspiracy theories, and oh, aren't those just stories of of connections? And the weirdness that uh, surrounds us. So um, I think data analysis. There's uh, now that's something I've been advocating for a long time um, in the form of the uh, charting. Charting the echo of Vallis was the the phrase that came into my head. Where echo is uh, John Lilly's Earth Coincidence Control Office and Vallis's PKD's Vast Active Living Intelligence System, and this idea that. Uh, we are just swimming in a sea of information and uh, maybe the, the weird experiences that people have are the glitches in the matrix reveal that programming that to me is like the, 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 and there's certainly with the simulation, the, the meme going around, you know, the, right. the old, the old, but very new and uh, in the news idea of we're all just living in the simulation. It's, that that's the 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 new post 2017 reiteration of the UFO. I think maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will address your thing about data in a minute, but I want to throw Miguel's question right back at him. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, Miguel. Yeah, if you're oh. going to ask the question, if you yeah, dish it out, you better be able to take it. <laughs> no, well, I didn't. I I wasn't able because I, I, my intention was to try to. I don't know, to try to put ourselves in the position of the people who were confronted by this phenomenon back back in those days, right? I don't you think know, we can. Obviously. The society obviously. was completely different then, to the point of being, if you dropped one of, you know, at least somebody that was born in the last 20 years into 1947, they would go crazy. Of course, you know, they were confronted, but... Uh, different historical societal circumstances. Now we are, you know, in uh, societal historical circumstances that obviously are the result of the things that our past, you know, was uh, boiled down. Yeah. So obviously, it, it, I acknowledge that it was something of a trick question, but <laughs> at the same time, it was a question that that was intended to try to create this kind of like a uh, 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 psychological like uh, meltdown, you know, to try to to find if we could perceive the phen- this phenomenon that we know that it has, like Miles says, it has a, 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 a pedigree, a background that we know fully well, you know, from 
the 947 sightings on Maury Island, Kenneth Arnold, Roswell, whatever, right? We, we, we have this bedrock. But, and, and the people before us, you know, under different uh, societal circumstances, try to uh, make sense of this phenomena, you know, using their uh, societal, you know, cultural uh, circumstances as a kind of like, the thing is, you know, t to be honest, uh, uh, we have to acknowledge that probably we in the 21st century are nowhere near to try to really acknowledge the true uh, nature and origin of this phenomenon, you know. <laughs> we think that we are, you know, a little, bit, a little bit more advanced than the people that were in 1947 starting to study this phenomenon, but those people are probably were as deluded as the people as that, that, that they've tried to find answers by thinking that these phenomenon were, you know, I don't know, uh, the result of fairies or, you know, uh, nymphs and other kind of like uh, sylphs, incubus, succubus, other types of uh, cultural interpretations. My assumption in the 21st century is that we're still deluded. We're still nowhere near to try to find uh, a proper a proper interpretation of this phenomenon, and maybe we're not supposed to, you know. I mean, because we are limited by our biology, we're limited by our senses, we're limited by our, you know, physical limitations. You know, the problem with ufology is that we don't acknowledge those limitations. I feel. I've got this horrible idea that we are we circle closer to whatever it is, but we're never going to get quite near it. And mm. the only way we're going to get near it is when we get out of our own way. And I don't know how we're going to get out of our own way. Um, mm. uh, and it's it's very hard when you have people that are you know the the, the greater culture or the greater you know UFO sub subculture being involved with. Um, a TV show or a, you know, or I'm going to have a big conference or, you know, we're going to have these people or whatever. This, this is all outward looking. It's not inward looking. Inward looking is not, it's not a lot of fun for most people. So, but I think that's no. where, that's where the, 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 the introspection is a lot more, a lot more important than a lot of people think. I think if you're looking at anything paranormal, you better know why you're doing it um, first. And, um, well, that's it, actually. What, why, why are you even doing this? And if you can answer that question, or actually, if you can't answer the question, might be a good indicator um, mm -hmm. that that you're on the right track. Actually, if you can't answer that question, why are you doing it? I have no idea. Well, excellent. Go ahead. I want to talk about each person's essay, but let's deal with that data thing because um, I want to tell Miles something that'll scare the crap out of him. <laughs> no, it certainly did me. I went and saw Valet speak at Contact in the Desert because you know he's, it's two hours for me. I have to go. Um, and it's Valet. 
Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. I meant Valet speaking two hours for me. I have to go. I didn't really care too much about who else was speaking there. I saw people I hadn't seen in a while, said hi to people, all that. Streber was there, and everybody was following him around, so I didn't get to talk to him. Um, I would still love to talk to him quietly, away from other people, for about an hour. I, I would mm-hmm. really like to just not even talk to him, just say four words and then just sit and listen. Mm-hmm. Um, because while he can still talk about these things and still is out in public and still is willing to talk to people, I think it's, excuse me, valuable to get information out of him. Just like it's valuable to see somebody like um, Jacques Vallée who who chooses to come out and speak to people. Um, why the hell did he even show up at Contact in the Desert? There are people there that he wouldn't, he you know, he wouldn't give the time of day to, I don't think. I mean, he's a nice person, of course he would, but you know what I'm saying. It's not... It's not somewhere you expect to see him. Yet he came out and gave a talk. The talk was um, uh, UFO research for, or uh, you know, UFO research for those who mean it, or investigation actually. Mm. Um, but at the beginning of the talk, he said, "I don't think we can get anything out of databases." And I, <laughs> I went, "What? What?" <laughs> <laughs> You mean a computer scientist information specialist is saying we can't get anything out of the information. And the reason he said that was the old adage, garbage in, garbage out. And the example, he didn't give an example, he just said, look, these have all been gathered by different groups with different agendas, Mm -hmm. um, different questions, different cultural backgrounds, uh, and to try and integrate all these into a database that actually makes sense that you can have ask an AI to ask questions of it. He says, if you ask an AI to ask questions of, uh, um, of the database right now, you're going to get a complete, ridiculous, nonsensical answer. And the thing that, the, the thing that came into my mind was those, those, um, those Google image things where you just, you know, it starts making dog faces out of you know, people's mm, elbows yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. If you give the UFO database to an AI, it's going to start making dog faces out of people's elbows. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's going to be absurd, just like the phenomena itself. Exactly. Absurd by design. What we're doing. We, when we look at the data, we go, "Holy shit! Look at that! Whoa! That's pretty weird." There's a dog face, you know, on a on a, bo- a, mer- a person's body. The yeah. Egyptian. Exactly. Yeah. So, what he said was, uh, he he said a revolutionary thing for Valet that I don't think anybody in the in the uh, um in the room noticed. It's like. The information specialist is saying that the data is is useless. Well, uh, he didn't say. Part, well, I don't know if he said it was useless. He said it was useless as a data mining operation. I I see. Okay, and far be it for me to disagree with my idol and uh, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't and totally who, agree with him either, but who actually is a data scientist? All right, not him, not me. So, okay, my the charting the echo of Alice that I mentioned earlier. This has been my dream. Was like, okay, um, why can't we do advanced textual analysis of all the world's uh, ancient sacred texts as well as individuals' uh, accounts of encounters with quote unquote alien others, whether they be whether they describe them as angels, demons, aliens, interdimensionals, time travelers, whatever. 
all take all this raw human experience from a anthropological narrative perspective and data mine the shit out of that. And, and, uh, you know, there are uh, professors here at UT who have been doing this and are doing apparently some secret projects with Google that I don't know anything about, um, that one of their, their, their dissertations are about like, can you detect whether a poet is suicidal from their poetry? You yeah, know, like, God. and, and apparently they can with the, uh, more than chance uh, uh, prediction, um, and so what else can you do? And and some of their advanced meta analysis is is not like I don't think it'll be useful for UFO sightings in the sense of you know day and time of the object sighted, the light, the ball of light, the BOL, the UFO, the flying saucer, the whatever <laughs> the hell. Uh, it's it's about people's experiencing of an alien other. I mean, you know, if these are Drones or hallucinations, who cares? But um, when people start perceiving that there's a, a communication, an inter- interaction, that there is some kind of intelligence on the other end of whatever the hell they think they're seeing or hearing in their heads, um, that's it, that, 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 if, if they can describe that, if they can write that down, what they've experienced, it can be, you know, uh, looked at and quantified and we might be able to detect like, okay, we've got people that claim contact channeling or otherwise with Ashtar. We've got people that claim contact with, oh, uh, captain whatever from Orion or, you know, we've got, you know, how many times do these specific names recur a lot? Actually, you know, you see these patterns that are all, you know, the, the, theosophical lineage of, of these hierarchies of uh, communicated beings and so what and so on. But if you're ever going to look and find an actual true quote unquote alien signal in all that noise, you need to have the statistics on, you know, well, you know, more often than not, people who saw a blue light in the West uh, uh, thought they were talking to Pleiadians, whereas these others thought they, you know, from those the South thought they were talking to Orions. All right. But but then again, what is the purpose of that uh, statistics uh, exercise? If you're ever going to find a, a, a true alien signal and all that noise, I mean, it's just like a, it's this. I, it's my idea for the study uh, of the UFO scene. You know? Sure, but th- th- let's let's take into consideration um, near death, the the study of near death experiences. You know, I mean, we can surely say that we live in an age in which near-death experiences are the most common because of uh, our current technology facilitates, you know, uh, the fact that uh, people can be retrieved from these states of, uh, of uh, near-death, uh-huh. you know, and it, we, we can bring them back to life in a way that was not possible, you know, like 30, 50, 100 years ago. So... We can say that there are more people living right now that can be retrieved from death or a near-death state than was in in, in the past. So, uh, but we see some people have studied uh, uh, the recollections of the accounts of the people who have, uh, you know, who claim to have passed into a realm, you know, that is different for, from uh, physical reality, a, a realm they, they claim to, that is even uh, 
more real than this reality, you know, that it's like some hyper-real in a sense, you know, that the colors are more vivid than the colors of uh, physical life and whatever. And what what has our culture uh, been able to retrieve from all of this? I mean, seriously, nothing, you know? I mean... Right. Our, our our societal our our Western materialistic society is still very dismissive of of such account. You know, they they treat them as you know a, anecdotal evidence, and this is something that troubles me. You know, because there's something that with our current tools, we can go so far into trying to find evidence to things that go beyond the uh, states or realms that go f uh, far beyond what is established by our current realm of, of of science yeah or even uh the uh even the language you can use to describe it exactly yeah yeah so it, I, I agree i think that what we need perhaps in, is a, a new emerging science eventually um that's going to take into consideration more of these uh variables like um uh, i believe it was dean radin that was arguing for uh, psycho uh physics so a, a completely new scientific discipline that might be able to at least um, present new models to kind of look at these, these cases or look at these cases with new lenses that may produce better questions. Mm -hmm. um, because it is, it is too complex. And there is that whole side of like the near-death experience, which, by the way, I occasionally come across with some of these people who have had UFO experience that they, in their description, to me anyways, it's very similar. I, I've had one uh, man tell me he felt like his soul was being taken from his body. Like, and, and I just immediately thought, this sounds more like a near-death experience than the UFO encounter that he was describing. Like, his story was a UFO one. But mm -hmm. it really did sound more like a, a near death to me when he's saying my soul is being taken from my body. But how do you account for that unless you're going to you're going to create some sort of really complex sort of means of being able to look at it from many different angles and viewpoints? Because it yeah. is a very complex thing. Uh, and the problem is that current science doesn't even acknowledge the existence of what we call the soul. You know, yes, because it is uh, rooted in materialism, you know? I agree. And that's difficult. There are some scientists that are brave and that are willing to come forward and sort of make at least um, hypothetical situations or, or, or they're willing to speculate, but there's no hard science to the soul, even though there's a lot of anecdotal that sort of points to that direction that, that uh, the, the brain is some sort of a processor to a mind that's non-local. At least... Yeah. That's coming from my own sort of, that's where I'm at at the moment. And there are yeah. some scientists that are actually coming forward and saying, yeah, there's some, 
something maybe to that. But I agree with you. There's no hard physical evidence for that at this point in time. Yeah. I think but I think there being there are experiments being uh, uh, devised to try and figure out if that's true. You posted one on your Facebook page uh, today or yesterday about the photon influence experiment from ions. Yes, do it. It's fun. I haven't it even is, looked at it yet. Institute of Noetic Sciences is uh, is crowdsourcing an experiment right now. What? Wow. What? What is yeah, it? Yeah, you can Susan? do it. You can you can do it. You can actually go online. Um, I think you need a Google account um, to be able to hook into their program. And then basically, what you're you're doing is it's about I think a fifteen minutes or so. And they give you prompts, and you just follow these prompts. And what they are trying to do is see if you can non-locally affect these photons that are in this lab environment um, simply by your mind. And you don't even know. There could be other people hooked in at the experiment at the same time. So it's totally totally cool that way. Um, but it's going to be interesting to find out what, what they find if, if these photons are actually being influenced uh, by people's thinking, so I posted that on my on my wall. It's it's a public post, so people can go and or they can go to Ions and they can get more information. And right. you can do it. You can do it right online. That's the beauty of the age we live in. A lot of these experiments we can do online. Right. So, yeah. So I mean, the, the, there are scientists out there that are brave and are doing these things, and you know that our counterculture, I guess, to scientific culture and thinking right at the moment, but. It is, the work is being done. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. To me, it's exciting. And to me, it, it also dovetails with the with the UFO stuff. Right. Yeah. There is a question from a listener from John. He'd say, I'd like to know what Sue, I'd like to hear Susan talk uh, more about with how she engages with the phenomenon. I'm too scared to do that. And I think I'm not alone. I, mm. <laughs> I, I, I am similar in 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 the way that I, as far as engaging it, I I can't get into too much detail at this point because I'm running two separate right. experiments and they're running currently. Right. Hmm. Um, I'm just trying to think how much I can. <laughs> well, I, I don't blame t- tell us tell us nervous. what you think should be an ideal version of engaging with a phenomenon if that if that can if you can even talk about that if you how can, do you cope if, with it yeah i, I don't I, if you don't want to talk about it i 100 percent totally understand how I, I well first of all i'm going to address the the question and the fact that this person's saying that they're scared and and i think in some sense they should be because of mm-hmm. information that we do have um i i would suggest again george hansen's book the trickster and the paranormal was very eye-opening for me mm-hmm. um a lot of people that engage with the phenomena or have had these experiences like the you had mentioned before about the the contactee uh, their lives become in disarray. They become in chaos. It seems that this, whatever it is, has that side effect on people that it can it can create a lot of havoc in their lives. Um, what I am doing is I am experimenting uh, in a creative way with a group and then with another individual where we are using narrative amongst other techniques to try and provoke a response. I see. And we have had some varied results. And that this will all come out. Eventually, this will be published. But mm-hmm. it's kind of at the moment I'm trying to keep it 
because of the nature of the experiments and the engagement, I cannot really say too much. And I, I hate, I'm, I'm normally one of those people that I, I'm not like that. I'd like to tell everything. But, um, no, I, I don't well, want to no, say this or anything, but. Mm-hmm. Now, I respect that because I think a lot of this work should – people's like, well, you should be completely open. It's like, no, you shouldn't. You should be completely secretive about what you're doing until you get to the point where you've either made a conclusion or yeah. you say, I've gotten as far as I can. Here's everything I've done. Here's exactly how we did it. Here are our results. This is, you know, this is, this is how we did it. This is our, you know, just like basically a scientific paper saying, look, these are our findings. And either yes. it's useful, and you say, "Look, that this there's something here, and maybe we're going to continue with this," or somebody else, please continue with this and tell us how you did. Um, so- Which is what I plan to do eventually. Currently, like I do, keep very detailed notes on these experiments, um, which are. They, they're somewhere between a scientific notebook and, and a magical diary. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how mm-hmm. – and, and so I'm, I'm just there's, – there's a lot of information, and eventually, yes, it will be shared. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's, you know, it's, it, it should be shared if you think it's um, useful and can be useful to others, you want to learn from others, or you can just, you know, treat it as your personal quest too, as long as, you know, your participants are okay with that too. But, yeah, um, yeah and, they, I, and I think that the information, all information in my mind, I mean, even if uh, some of these uh, things don't work, it's still information that could be useful. I think right, all, exactly. all, all of our attempts are, are worthwhile, no matter what the result. And, and I, in my opinion as well, the result is never truly 100% predictable no. because we're not dealing with something that can be predicted. Exactly. It's, 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 it's like I said, I'm, I'm with Miguel. It's anarchy. <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't get close to the thing. Whatever, it's almost like poetry. It's like, look, we're trying to describe something that can't be described in words. So we have to. What's the Charles Fort thing? Pick pick up an existence by its frogs. You can't. Yeah. Really, you've got to be kind of oblique on how you approach it, how you describe it, how you experiment with it, and then you have to somehow. <laughs> and this is the crazy part: is try to communicate that to somebody else. Yeah. Um, and yes. maybe you only communicate it to two or three people and see what they do with it. But, you know, you know, pay it forward and, and, and pass the information on if you think it, it, you know, it can be useful. At the end of my talk in La- uh, Laughlin, I'm sorry, in, in Arizona, there was a question. Somebody said, well, you know, people are going to do new things. What are these new things you're talking about? Do you have any suggestions? And I said, well, um, a lot of people aren't going to like this, but maybe something like divination. And I, people clapped. I got, a, I got a small round of applause. And that gave me hope. I really like that people were open to that. I love that. Absolutely. It's because you're, you never really know. I mean, what if the people who are giving this information of this download of, uh, you know, information from the... I don't know, Akashic Records of the, or the Ashtar Command, whatever you want to call it. What if those people are someone like Elon Musk, you know? You know, Elon Musk is someone who is undisputably, objectively changing our culture. Right. You know, this, this is the, the people, this is the guy who is taking us to Mars, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? You know, there, there's no question about it. You never know when some, if you, 
if something leaves a seed into someone's, uh, you know, consciousness, you, you never, you, you can never know what the outcome might be. So th that's what fascinates me about it. You know, the the way that the phenomenon might be shaping our culture, and I know that. Uh, by saying this, some people will say that I'm uh, uh, ascribing uh, quasi-divine uh, 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 attributes to the UFO phenomenon. I'm oh. not, but at the same time, you know... That, it's just a label. Yes, yeah. it's, it's, it's just a label, you know. I mean, it's, there's no way... It's, a try, it's trying to ascertain... The way that uh, this phenomenon is uh, interacting with our society, you know, and trying to be a little humble about it, you know. Yeah, well, we have to push all these things through our metaphors and our language and all that, and that, that makes it a little more difficult. It's once again, you're picking up by existence by its frogs. It's just, mm -hmm. it's not a direct coming at it directly doesn't seem to work too well. It hasn't worked for sixty years or seventy exactly. or whatever it is. It's it's gotten to us to a point, but I think it's gotten us like you know one step in the thousand steps. <laughs> and mm -hmm. what we're talking about here, all of us, and in the book and all that, in 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 the uh, UFOs reframing the debate, is to maybe do the next step in that thousand steps or another one, you know, um, that takes us in a, in another direction and in different directions, and none of which may, you know some of which may be useful and some not, but you know more people have to take those steps. Mm hmm. I agree, absolutely. Greg, I think I think Valet w appeared at the Contact in the Desert probably largely because of uh, that director that also uh, was there, who is a friend of Delange. I I almost wonder if it's almost part of some contractual obligation for the since he did didn't he do the forward to the nonfiction? Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, well. I don't know exactly why he was there. I did not talk to him. I just said, hi, and how you doing? And it's so good that you're here. And uh, and that was the extent of it because it, it, he, you know, he had other stuff to do, I guess. And also, you know, what, what am I going to do? I can't talk to him. I can't, I, you know, I can't talk to him when there's like 500 other people want to talk to him. So I, I said my little piece and left. But uh, what I think he was there for was to, you know, give everybody, look, Here's your last damn chance. This is the way I've been doing things for years. Please listen to me. And if you think it's worth something, please go ahead and do what you think is proper in, you know, uh, in, a, in, in the way that you want to do it. But please, his, the, the thing about his talk was the title was, you know, UFO research for those or investigation for those who mean it. And what he did was he he took three no he took four UFO cases, two from uh, uh, from history because obviously because of the uh, um, wonders in the sky, and his connection with going back through history and seeing what people were seeing and what they were describing. Um, and he proceeded to tear apart each one of these uh, UFO reports. Um, the first one, he said, you know, we found this was from you know, like the 17th century or something. He said we found out one, two of these people didn't exist. Two, you know, it was written as propaganda for some king or something like that who said that he had visions. So they wanted to make sure that everybody thought he had divine visions. Um, 
you know, the next one they found out that the dates were wrong and, you know, that the, the, the place they said they had seen it, it wasn't even on a map. And, you know, he said a lot of the stuff just falls apart when you start looking, you know, doing some background checking. Yeah. The third one he talked about had happened in France in the 70s, I think, maybe 80s. Um, a very bright light appeared over this little village in France. Um, it, uh, there were four or five people awake. It shut all the power off in the, in the village. Some people in the car said this glowing orb was following their car. Um, it was dropping these fiery blobs off the bottom of it. Um, a woman said she, her radio went to static and then made, or not static, but it made a very strange noise, which it, it continued to make after the sighting had been uh, concluded. Um, mm-hmm. Various other things. And he said, look, sounds like a great case, doesn't it? All the classic things of a UFO case, you know, you've got, uh, you know, you've got people scared. You've got the power going out. You've got, um, oh, and the the uh, the one of the witnesses or three of the witnesses actually had a fish farm, like three ponds with fish in them. One of the ponds, all the, all the UFO was hovering over, all the fish died. So he hmm. said the gendarmerie came out, uh, talked to everybody, and then uh, Gaipan, whatever their their um, their investigative branch from the military that, uh, that investigates UFO reports, they found out after talking to everybody, got all their stories, all that. They found out they took one of the fish out of the pond, or a few, I guess, that had died, and they tested them. He said the fish had been poisoned. Hmm. So why are UFOs poisoning fish? They found out late. Also found out um, that uh, the fish had been the the poison was I guess like aluminum oxide or something like that. What they found out, you know, apart from the fact that the, the UFO was dropping fiery blobs probably into that pond, he said the other fish were affected and kind of stunned, but the uh, the ones in the one pond the UFO was right over all died. He said they found out later that um, there's a there was a power line going over the fish pond. The power line is shorted out. And the the very bright light everybody saw was a just basically the arc, the plasma arc, as the thing was shorting out. And as it was shorting out, it had an aluminum casing around it, around the steel cable that was carrying the power. It melted the aluminum, which melted in big blob, glowing blobs and dropped into the pond and killed the fish. Hmm. So he said if somebody hadn't gone and found that out and tested the fish and checked with the power company and all that other stuff – they might have never found out what was going on. They would never have figured it out, which is kind of weird. It's like, didn't the power company come out and fix that cable later? Maybe what they thought was the UFO had caused the power cable to fail. But what it was was just the power cable shorting out. And he said that this goes to show you that, you know, this sounds like a classic case until you really start to look into it. Then he did, you know, his final case was, um, happened in France in the area where he grew up in Pontoise, so he said he knew these people, uh, a hunting lodge, about four or five in the morning. These guys were going out hunting, and they saw this huge thing come over the hunting lodge. It was dropping all these sparkly things on the ground that disappeared when they hit the ground. Anyway, he said, I went over there and talked to these people. I talked to the original five witnesses, and he said he found two or three more who told him more things about it. And he said, I haven't been able to figure it out yet. <laughs> he said, this one <laughs> remains identified as of now. But I went over there, talked to everybody extensively without putting ideas in their heads about what they were seeing or anything like that, just asked them what they saw. He said one of the witnesses was the caretaker. He said the caretaker was riding up on his motorcycle and saw it from the other side, and he said it was an aircraft, like a jet plane. Hmm. And he said, I don't know what to make of that, because every other witness saw something, and their descriptions all matched. And he saw a jet. 
And the only thing I can think for myself is, well, he that's how he chose to remember it because his mind said, uh, whatever is happening here, I don't like it. So it's a big jet. Yeah. Because um, it's not near any airport. If it was flying that low over the trees, it was about to crash. I mean, a, a, a passenger jet does not fly, you know, 50 feet over or even less over, over a forest. It just doesn't happen, especially not around an airport. So, you know, he, the, the point of his talk, besides the data thing I, I mentioned, and I will shut up here in a minute, was that, you know, if you're going to do this research, do it methodically. Don't make any assumptions and um, try and check everything before you say, well, look, this is uh, totally unknown. Because a lot of the time you're going to find some mundane explanation or something that uh, people left out or um, that, uh, that too many assumptions were made when the witnesses were spoken to in the first place. All these things, all, all these things that we whine and bitch and scream about, he went into great detail about. Um, and the place wasn't and even sold out. he also did it in person. Like, that's something, too, that, that is... is yeah. I, in this internet age, you have more people that I guess are just doing their research online. You have to go out and you have to talk to these people. Right. I, I mean, you have to, and this is something that Valet has always done is, is he actually goes to these locations and he sits down with these people and talks to them. Um, I try and do that as much as possible as well, because I find when I'm with someone in person versus the telephone or if I'm doing, uh, you know, just email, I'm going to get a lot more from them and I'm going to get a lot more information about the scene if I actually go to the location um, and actually talk to the people that are, are, are experiencing these things. It's it's totally different vibe, totally different experience to go out and, and be with people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's also a part of being serious about the, if you're going to go out and do that is... You know, if, because if you're just being told this story through an email correspondence or whatever, un, you know, what Valet's done is he's gone out and he's seen the location and mm-hmm. talked to the people and, and figured out that, you know, in the one case that it was the transformer blowing up or whatever. And that's important, I think, anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, yeah. Is. it is. Go ahead, Miles. Uh, yes, it's very important. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, we all agree that it's very important. So. What well, she I'm said. I'd I, I be quiet. <laughs> no, no, no. Everybody's going to. I want everybody to speak and talk, and I think we should talk about some stuff in the book, too. Um, <laughs> Robbie's probably going to listen to this later and go, Why aren't they getting to the stuff in the book? Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's going to say it just like that. <laughs> Jacques Vallée tells you to, you know, make more, uh, you know, to be more, more thorough in your investigation. And Robbie says, get to the bloody book. Miguel has been quiet for a while. Your, yeah, your essay was Anarchy and the UFO. And the thumbnail of that is what I said before. It's a kind of saying, look, you, you, studying UFOs has become your personal alchemy. It kind of saved you and helped you meet some people. And, but there, it Mm -hmm. goes far more into detail than the, than that, um, just about popular culture, how that's affected, how it reflects back onto the UFO subject. So, if you wanted to, you know, somebody said, "Hey, Miguel, what's your essay about?" What would you tell them, and what would you want to take them to take away from it? What would I the, the, like to the the reader to take up uh, from it is number one, you know, UFOs are something that challenges all of our 
preconceptions and assumptions, you know, even our preconceptions of our, of how reality seems to work, you know, it's, uh, you, the UFO phenomenon seems to be a, a, a force that seems to, like, slap us every time we think, oh, I think that I managed to uh, work things out, you know, I think that I managed to, to figure figure how all of this works, and, you know, and the UFO phenomenon says, slap, slap us and says, think again, sucker, you know, and <laughs> this is, yeah. this is, this is what I think is the, the main purpose of the, of the phenomenon, and I don't know, the second thing is that it doesn't matter if we, if we never figure out the true nature of the phenomenon, it can be useful nonetheless from a personal perspective. And that is what I try to compel in my essay. This is the, the thing that uh, Robith said that was uh, a very personal thing about it, and I agree, because I try to express how the UFO phenomenon has become uh, or, or, or how I have tried to transform it into my personal alchemy. By alchemy, I'm trying to uh, express the way that uh, a certain, you know, methodolo me methodology or a, or a process is intended to create some kind of the transformation, some kind of the transcendence into, you know, the person who is conducting the experiment. You know, people has the, have this, uh, you know, popular or pop culture idea that alchemy was just about trying to create or to try to transform form uh, lead into gold, you know, that is the thing that we have come to understand about alchemy, but that is not the case, you know, alchemy was about, among other things, trying to transform the alchemist himself, trying to transform your uh, raw or normal matter into divine matter. Mm-hmm. I have tried to use the UFO phenomenon in such a way, you know, to this point that, you know, I, a, 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 a Mexican, <laughs> that started to read books about UFOs, you know, 20, 30 years ago, are now, I mean, chatting with you guys. And I managed to write a book that is now part of what I think will be a very influential, you know, book about the UFO subject, you know. That is the magic <laughs> that uh, was conveyed or was manifested uh, out of all my, my passion out of, the, uh, out of the UFO phenomenon. Right. I don't know, I mean... It, 
for me, it is a very personal matter. I'm sure it is for you guys. But I mean, I've got I, this I, huge I, smile on my face. I love everything you're saying. Mm-hmm. I do. I love your essay too. But I mean, I'm just, I'm just grinning here. I just go on. I'm loving <laughs> no, everything no, no. you're saying. Go on. No, no, please, uh, uh, Susan. Please, you know, uh, pick up from where I'm trying to express here because I'm at a, at a loss of words. <laughs> it's just, I, it's you know, you're brilliant. I, I, I love what you're saying, and and the UFO is a transformational vehicle. I feel the same way. I've actually written that for me, my first UFO encounter was an initiation uh, because mm-hmm. I couldn't, I, I, it just, it radically changed the course of my life. And I've had three major UFO experiences myself personally, and each one seemed to guide me or push me very hard into a certain way of, of, of being and living and thinking. And when you say magic, that's just, I, I view the phenomena, the UFO phenomena in that very same sort of way. So, I, like I said, I, I just really thought what you wrote and, and about the Joker and all that stuff was so brilliant. I really loved it. And I'm, I'm just sitting here listening to you and I'm just smiling. I'm just thinking, this is, this is so amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think that uh, what you're saying is true. Yeah, I feel this UFO phenomenon is uh, some kind of initiation ritual or, or energy that is. Uh, I'm afraid to say it. It's not for anyone. You know, it's for everyone. I mean, yeah. yes, exactly. Uh, I have never had the kind of uh, UFO experience. I've always envisioned, you know, the <laughs> like you, Susan, wrote in your article, you know, the, the the close encounters of the third kind, you know, seeing vision of the of the mothership landing and taking me away to so far away, you know, realm. I've never had that, and obviously, this is not something that is open to anyone. I don't know. I mean. I I'm I'm at a loss of words here. I feel this is something that is yeah, that is very complex, very intimate, something that has to deal that it will not be understood by a lot of people, you know. And yeah. I feel it's not supposed to, you know. Yes. It's part yeah. of a it's, it's a secret I, society that's not that secret. Exactly. Uh, I I have the the hunch, the hope that is not that is part of a plan, you know, so that that is part of a scheme that we is uh, that we uh, the 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 authors of this book have just the birth the barest of inkling about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the I I said I think earlier it's um a lot of this is just things that language will not encompass so it's like you know what if you could get a musician or a great poet to have a UFO experience you know could they excri- describe it a lot better to you than and they have too I think some of them describe it to you a lot better than um a scientist or a uh 
any layperson or you know anything like that? Could they? And if they if they could describe it well to you, do you think everybody would get it? Probably not. Um, it, there's no there's no way to describe it properly across the, you know, across different times, cultures, um, uh, ethnicities, uh, backgrounds, everything. And you know, the way somebody would describe something in the 1940s or 50s or whatever is different to the way they describe it now. In fact, somebody asked the other day on one of the lists I'm on, or I think on Facebook somewhere. You know, were there paranormal aspects to UFO sightings back in the 1950s, 40s? I I was thinking, I bet there were, but one, people didn't really know what to make of it. Probably yeah. two, they would self-select themselves not to say anything about it because it'd make them sound even crazier than they would just reporting it. And three, if they told the investigators, they would ignore it or just say that person's nuts. I'm not even going to use their report now because now they got ghosts in their house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a problem, um, is the ridicule factor. And, uh, and I think that that's been around a lot longer, but there was a concerted effort um, in the States, anyway, in the United States, to make sure that that occurred, to kind of downplay UFO reports. Um, and it's unfortunate, because we still have that in the UFO subculture, where people might come online and they might try and contribute, and then... They get piled on by people because their their UFO experience doesn't fit the current popular UFO narrative or or their stuff might sound a little too woo-woo or, you know, and then I think people do hold back. Yeah, I they hate too. that term. Yeah, yeah, I hate it too. In fact, I, I kind of make a conscious effort never to use it. <laughs> I tried to take it back for a while and just describe self-describe myself as an ultimate woo-woo, but I... <laughs> I mean, I am, but uh, I, I know I hear you. It, 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 it's got the derogatory, and, and right there, like we're talking about ridicule, and, and that holds things back. It holds people back, and that that's part of what I'm arguing for, as you know, in the book, is, is I want everything. I want all the information, no matter how absurd. Um, yeah. I think it's part of it. What what about your uh, essay? Because it starts out with you, you you know people don't know this. You actually go out and talk to people and uh, ask them questions and find out from them what has happened to them. And it starts out actually with a um, native, well, what is it called? An indigenous Canadian uh, group of yes. people that had yes. a strange experience. Um, why do you start the essay with that? And what did, what exactly did they tell you? Well, I was uh, the essay I'm arguing um, for UFOs being um, containing parapsychological elements, or in fact, being parapsychological events. Mm-hmm. And I started off with this one because it was a group of people, um, uh, the Aboriginal people, that they were having a powwow, and it was so they were getting together. They lived on res- reservation about two hours north of Toronto, and they we're having sort of a family get together and it was evening time and they set up this fire and they were all sitting out and talking. And when they all started hearing a voice in their head, almost simultaneously to look up in the sky. And when they looked up in the sky, they saw this light that sort of descended down towards them. And this is what began this UFO event for these people, but they had almost a telepathy and for them, they also saw some symbolism within the UFO itself. 
so for me, that is is something that's it's a little bit more complex than just I I saw a light and you know I might have saw, saw it at a distance for a little bit and and it went away. This involved. Uh, some synchronicity or meaningful coincidence and some symbolism and what could be um, described as telepathy because they were all hearing this voice telling them to look at the same time at, they were compelled almost to look at this point of light that just grew and kind of descended downwards towards them. So I decided to start off with that um, and then just start making the argument that, uh, you know, these, uh, not all UFO cases, but many of them do contain um, elements of what we could consider parapsychological events or paranormal events, mm-hmm. um, telepathy, um, uh, you know, they could have poltergeist-like events. I've, I've interviewed people as well who've had UFO events that, that precede or... Um, uh, come after like poltergeist things that are happening in their house much like in the movie close encounters of a third kind uh, which did cover a lot of this stuff um, with strange lights and electrical phenomena and 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 things of that nature and then of course being compelled to go out and 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 witness something or see something those are cases that are very absurd and considered high strangeness and and I argue for um, having a more uh, in-depth look at that and perhaps looking more at the witness uh, who is really the tangible in, in, in all these UFO stories is, right. is the person that's experiencing. And often we don't look enough at them and in mm-hmm. even what's going on in their lives and the social context that they're living in. And if we do, if we spend, uh, you know, at least some time looking at that, maybe more information will emerge that might help us towards gaining a new perspective or, or, or asking better questions than we have been. So that, that's pretty much the basis of my, my essay, my contribution, is, is to argue for that, for, for more emphasis being put on parapsychology and maybe using parapsychological lenses to examine different cases and seeing what data might emerge from it. Yeah, well, you actually, you also bring up synchronicity, in the in your discussion and how that has manifested yeah. in not only um, witness cases but also with researchers too when they start looking into it. Yes, yeah, exactly. the The researchers themselves often start experiencing these types of strange phenomena. Um, I know that with it, certain times when I've been with UFO witnesses and we've been discussing cases, strange things will happen, like the, the lights will, will have a power outage or uh, we'll have electronic glitches or strange things like that will start to occur. Um, and synchronicities as well, meaningful coincidences, which right. is another thing that I kind of look into, um, but is also uh, prevalent in UFO cases. Yeah. Uh, and uh, even with... Um, more of the harder scientists, like the project identification, that was an older study done um, by Harley Rutledge. And in the book that he wrote on his field work going out and examining these lights, these anomalous lights, the scientists were having synchronicity and um, telepathy and things of that nature. That So the, the implication is these lights were displaying some form of intelligent control. Uh, but that was that information came from 
acknowledging the fact that these people were having like, you know, extrasensory perception with the phenomena as they were observing it. So I think that I, I, um, I didn't mention Carla Turner, but I know a couple of the other essay, essayists did, and she mm-hmm. uh, she was a I doctor did. who, yeah, yeah, she <laughs> well, yeah, she she argued for high strangeness as well, and the absurd details that you know information, good information is going to come from that. So that, that's basically what I'm arguing for in the in my essay is is looking at the paranormal and. And those types of experience along with the UFO. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Miles has been quiet and dark for what, 20 minutes now? That's quite all right. <laughs> I love listening to uh, the other contributors because, uh, as I say, their, their contributions each uh, really uh, provide a nice accoutrement to all the other uh, essays in the collection. And I'm, I'm, Proud to think that I'm uh, part of the parapsychological contribution, uh, along with Susan and even Joshua Cutchin, and um, and I'm I'm just honored to be with uh, these other awesome researchers and writers, um, and uh, Miguel's uh, really amazing powerhouse overview uh, of this is important to me and. I, I, I really find myself I'm sadly maybe I'm still thinking of these phenomena in the same way I have since like the mid 1990s man it's <laughs> like um, I, I, I developed a, a set of perspectives and uh, through confirmation bias all the data I've gotten have really reaffirmed that uh, <laughs> but but, but I think those yeah, but your confirmation bias is so so off the normal map that it's it becomes it becomes refreshing. So I the the parapsychological element is me trying to explain my thoughts about the true foes, the true UFO mm-hmm. phenomenon, um, not not the UFOs, the false foe UFOs, and um, so in my essay, I try to dis- I, I, the, it focuses on the conspiratorial angle of the idea that, well, maybe there's an, a real, quote unquote, alien other UFO phenomenon that's been with us, but that human agencies have, through observing it, developed their own techniques uh, and technologies that mimic it uh, for their own purposes. Because if it's about manipulation of the masses, um, if it's the manipulation of the individual, um, there are tried and true mind control techniques that can accomplish this. And they seem to interestingly be reflected in some of the possibly naturally occurring geological luminous phenomena on this planet. Maybe it's as simple as the, as uh, Keel and others said, it's the weather. It's been with us as long as we've been here. It's this weird ecological system that might have an intelligence of its own, but certainly interfaces with our intelligence and perhaps the collective uh, intelligences and consciousnesses of other species on this planet. And in parapsychological ways and parapsychological uh, uh, mechanisms of manifestation, and if human agencies have observed this, which I, they clearly have, um, they've probably taken on those same Machiavellian 
machinations uh, to their own ends. And so, again, it, mine is like uh, thinking of the UFO phenomena as like covert folklore warfare, the weaponization of uh, folklore and, um, as I described, weapons of mass enchantment. This idea that maybe – and I, that, I got that from Mark Pilkington, uh, his abuses of the uh, – mm. I think it's a, a, the abuse of enchantment or the abuse of folklore uh, was one of his talks. But it, it's this idea that, you know, humans are going to, as uh, Burroughs said, if, if the military knew that the earth was flat, they would use it to their advantage and wouldn't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that's kind of like the, the dark secret is, wow, religion, you know, <laughs> People through uh, superstition and no, no knowledge of how things actually work, and if you know that you know this uh, geological uh, phenomenon is going to occur, you can uh, use it to your advantage. And um, so, I kind of try to re-examine uh, some of the classic cases that still I think of as like, oh, well, that could be the real, the true foe. You know, whether it's the Betty Barney Hill case or the Via Bolas case, uh, or um, uh, the coin helicopter case. There's there's a, a number of, of cases that you can look at in more depth. The Pascagoula, Mississippi case, where like there there's enough evidence there, as Philip K. Dick said apparently in private communications to Jacques Vallée, that no matter what hypothesis I look at, I can find enough evidence to support any of those hypotheses. But the one, the two hypotheses that over and over again have had the most resonance for me and the one that I see the most data for and I try to point out the uh, connect the dots connections to the citations for is this idea that yes there is this uh, phenomenon that's been with us throughout humanity's history on this planet it seems to manifest in the form of luminous balls of light it seems to induce uh, altered states of consciousness and, and in its wake leaves myths and religions and cultural change uh, and um Again, humans are like, hmm, that's a very interesting phenomenon. I think we can we can use that. And through the studying of how people transmit these stories, that's information control, uh, espionage, uh, manipulation par excellence. If you can track, you know, how these stories spread, you can, you know, uh, you can use uh, the the knowledge of that, the algorithms to help win elections. I suspect, but. Um, if you can uh, affect the anxieties, if, if, if there is this parapsychological aspect to this where um, uh, the, perhaps the uh, unconscious anxieties of masses of people uh, manifest in the symbolisms uh, reported in the narrative of these encounters and weird phenomena, there's a lot to be learned there, I think, in terms of uh, a young interpretation of what's really going on uh, at the heart of humanity's uh, psyche um, and what other forces might be at work there to be pushing it in certain directions. Is the true UFO phenomena just this cultural thermostat pushing us back and forth between extremes of science and extremes of superstition? That's, that's Valet's fear. Mm -hmm. uh, McKenna was like, oh, no, there's no worries about conspiracy. It's all happenstance and uh, you know, I love both of them, <laughs> and they're like <laughs> clash in a way that I think is beautifully brilliant, and and hopefully uh, all the essays in this uh, tome have that same uh, beauty of of uh, again resonances and clashings, because um, I I I'm just so 
proud and honored to be a part of all the different contributions to this because, again, there are those that are just like, let's get back to the basics of just not having any faith and and belief and assumptions going into this and and a good understanding of human perception and how it's just a virtual reality creation of of uh, all the stimuli and uh, you know the grappling with the anomalous is is going to create uh, high strange <laughs> descriptions of what happened so it you know it, even Jer- Jerry Clark Jerome Clark back in 2008 was taking on Jeffrey Kripal's uh, more, you know, anthropological perspective of, well, can't we just hear the stories and not really go, mm-hmm. oh, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> so this person describes encountering, you know, blue avians. Wow, I, I now believe that there's a species of blue avian. No, there's stories of people who've encountered blue avians. Can we just talk about these in terms of stories and not uh, assign actual physical reality to any of them, while at the same time, realizing that there's a lot of uh, evidence in the manifestations of this phenomena that lead, should lead us to transform, have transformative experiences, whether you're a researcher or an experiencer. It, it has the potential for uh, uh, alchemically changing, uh, 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 as uh, Miguel is saying, the, 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 the percipient, whether it's a, the witness or the uh, investigator researcher. So, Hey, dive in, but you know, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you're psychologically sound already because there is evidence that this these phenomena can push people over the edge. So be, be careful. <laughs> you think? Have a spotter. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Have a spotter. <laughs> uh, could I ground yourself. In? Ground yourself. Actually, what I like to do is I do take breaks from it ever so often and do normal mm-hmm. things. Yes. Like, you know, mm-hmm. go out and buy shoes or something. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I know it's true. I, I take mental breaks from it because it can, yeah. it, it can breed paranoia and all sorts of things. So you mm-hmm. have to be kind of careful with that as well as to kind of ground yourself in the mundane kind of, um, and not make it your entire life. I think that's, that's important too, is to just take, mental breaks from it ever so often because yeah. it can be very intense. Yeah, Rit- R- Jeff Ritzman said that on my show recently. He said that the uh, the phenomenon mm-hmm. or even any paranormal phenomenon, uh, ghost hunting uh, as well, seems to take somebody who seems to be rational and sane and if they get too involved with it, it starts turning them into somebody that you don't, you know, you don't want to invite to parties or whatever. I love Jeff's blog. Um, I hope it's okay that I, I know we're talking about the book and, but I, no, no, I I brought it up. So give, give props to Jeff Ritzman's blog, read his stuff. I, I really find it very interesting and I think he's got a good sort of handle as best you could possibly maybe have on, on some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's really Mm -hmm. interesting what he's coming up with. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I wanted to comment on what uh, Smiles was uh, Please, yeah. saying prior to this. And I also wanted to say that, you know, trying to prepare for this uh, uh, podcast interview, I was trying to read both of Susan's and Smiles' uh, essays on, on, on our anthology. And the process of trying to highlight the things that resonated with me became quite futile because in the end, I didn't, 
I ended up pretty much highlighting pr- the entirety of their essay. You know, <laughs> that was you know the, the, that is how much I I was resonating and agreeing what you both was were trying to to express in your essays. So, but nevertheless, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, Miles. What is your opinion about this supposed uh, condign report that allegedly the uh, the British uh, Minister of Defense came up with in order to try to maybe explain uh, UFO sightings or maybe the things that happened during the famous or infamous uh, Rendlesham UFO case uh, in the case of a of uh, some type of plasma type energies that might might interfere with uh, um, witnesses and somehow you know manipulate or maybe you know uh, influence their perceptions. I ask you this because of the things that you express in your essay, in which you. You seem to favor uh, an explanation of uh, the UFO phenomenon that seems to go all along the way of uh, some kind of uh, energy that seems to emanate from uh, our planet itself, some kind of Gaia energy that might influence and some kind of manipulate UFO witnesses. Wow. Uh- <laughs> Thank you. So um, I don't know that I've specifically uh, read the Condon Report's comments on Rendlesham, but yes, in the in my essay I mention um, uh, Sasha, the British researcher who's um, Sasha Christie. Yeah, who's looked at this from the perspective of that was this perhaps some kind of um, covert operations test against the base security and personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's the main focus of my, of my essay. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, um, yeah, if it looked from the flip side of what I was really, I, I didn't focus on, but I tried to inject in there this my perspective of a planetary poltergeist, parapsychological type of phenomena, possibly Gaian in nature. Um, if 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 we throw aside this these these stories from Valet and Kit Green and others that there's some kind of Delta Force type covert operations testing going on against these nuclear facilities that all these mm-hmm. serious helicopters in the United States at the nuclear sites and and here in Rendlesham this this weird uh, light that lands and they have a close encounter with an object that they actually go and one of the witnesses described having like actually touched I think. Um, that you know is so over the top different than the so many of the other close encounters on the one hand it makes me more easily lean towards the covert operation angle but if if i'm just throwing that aside and going for the parapsychological planetary poltergeist gaian interpretation i'd think maybe it's again somehow connected to um uh the anxieties the collective anxieties of these different populations and Mm. 
I don't know. I've never seen any evidence of like how widely known it was in the local uh, demographics uh, around that ba- that joint UK American base. Like, how widely known was it that there were nuclear weapons there? Uh, uh, mm-hmm. But people did. People in the military knew, right? So the, at least yeah, there's yeah. some psychic weight in the collective human unconscious that there. This is this is like those sites over in the United States where they they've got these nuclear weapons and. Is there a likelihood of if 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 in, in one interpretation of the planetary poltergeist idea, I think of okay, the the Gaian consciousness is trying to prepare us for the inevitable, actual, traditional nuts and bolts contact with extraterrestrials. I mean, that's her that's her job, right? <laughs> is 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 creating life on this planet? Gaia's you know creating life on this planet that that's evolving towards seeding other places. That's I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe mm-hmm. that's. An old school. Well, I kind of thought of that as well in regards to why we started seeing spaceships just at the, you know, just pre the uh, space race. And is it be- does it have anything to do with the fact that now with so much light pollution, we don't have what they had a hundred years ago—a beautiful night sky to inspire us out towards the stars? Um, is this some sort of message that is that is continuing to? You know, to resonate with people that we need to to leave, get off world, and explore, and perhaps this is why we see spaceships now. I they just like random thoughts like that occasionally pop into my head, and I and I have to wonder: is it a message from somewhere? Is it a message from Gaia? You know, yeah. um, I, I this is all guessing, way. but <laughs> I can see it as as a as a psychic projection of our of the species collective unconscious going. This is you know like. The unconscious futurist in us all, you know, when this phenomena encounters uh, any anybody, maybe it's it is just projecting that and seeing what's next, or, mm-hmm. or maybe it is directed by sparked by a, a higher organelle, the the planet herself. Not sure. That's I, I, just it. I'm really agnostic. I'm like, you know, my my romantic animist heart goes towards the the guy in interpretation, but my cynical, skeptical uh, heart that's mm-hmm. seen time and time again, as uh, Gre- Greg was describing Filet knocking down, oh, you would think these were great cases, but then you learn, <laughs> fill in the blank, and you're like, well, maybe it's not as simple as that. Maybe it's this other thing. But I, That's just it. With all the stuff I present in my essay, uh, I'm like, I don't, I, I'm still undecided. I don't know if the Betty and Barney Hill case represents, you know, mm-hmm. psychotronic mind control on the part of the American military intelligence establishment, or if it's just a, you know some kind of extension of the MK Ultra stuff, or if it, it it or if it's you know a classic extraterrestrial encounter, or if it's you know Gaia again, like you know, hey, or the the parapsychological. Mm. Here, here's an interracial couple. You know, they're outliers mm. in the the society at the time, and uh, you know the the. And maybe there were some other factors there that we don't even know about in their personal lives because, again, the researchers didn't delve deeply enough, even though they were seeing a psychiatrist who recommended hypnosis. Uh, hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Good and bad. So much good and bad. Yeah, well, if, they didn't know if, that then. This was one of the first – it was probably the first uh, uh, a report where, where hypnosis was used and they thought it was a legitimate tool. Yeah. Which um, I think a lot of forward-thinking researchers don't think that anymore. Right. Um, the, before a bandit, before a bandit's use in the '80s, which is why I think uh, UK ufology is so radically different than American ufology. It is actually um, Paul Devereaux and I guess a friend of his came on one of the lists on Facebook and said, "Hey, look at this new book. Um, it's called Reframing the Debate." Um, 
it looks like they're talking about stuff that we talked about in Europe 20 years ago. Yeah. And my answer was, it is some of it. <laughs> um, maybe a lot of it. But the thing is, people over here have forgotten it. They've ignored it. They haven't let it enter the conversation. And that's the point of the book. Not to say, look, here's something new and you know, we made it all up. That has nothing to do with it. It's, yeah. I look at it as like, just like I said. Be, what are you doing? I'm cheerleading. It looks like, to me, it's kind of like, could you please consider these other things that have been kicking around for a while? But um, in our rush, uh, in this culture, I mean, it, it's the, cult, the culture on top of it, too. Nobody pays attention to anything outside of the country uh, in the United States. Or not nobody, but a lot of people don't. Um, the the fact that we can, you know, a bunch of people have been reading all these people like Paul Devereaux's stuff that Miles mentions in his in his uh, in his essay. I also brought up um, um, Ted Holliday, the Dragon and the Disc guy. Uh, guy, everybody should read that if you can find it. Jenny Randall's Mind Monsters book. Um, that's a long forgotten, very in- important book, I think, if you're interested in the UFO subject. Um, Salvador Fashado's work. Um, cool, yeah. Yeah, Mi- right. Visionaries, Mystics, and Contactees. That's the one that uh, Illuminate put out, which I think you could probably still find somewhere. These, these researchers are, many of the ones I've just mentioned, are referred to and they are footnoted in the book saying, look, this is where we came from. We are trying to take and these ideas and you know, reintroduce them because we've been sitting on them for years, going, "Wow, this stuff's amazing." And I've also mm-hmm. tried to trying to push it, newer, yeah. yeah, newer stuff as well, because there are there are people out there that are doing some really interesting stuff that are not right. You know a few of 70s. them. Yeah, yeah I, I mentioned uh, Eric Willett's work. Yep. Um, he. He's yeah. looking at it from a sociological standpoint. Uh-huh. I cite Massimo Teodorani, who is an astrophysicist in Italy, mm-hmm. who's done a, mm-hmm. a really interesting book called The Hyperspace of Consciousness, where he looks at many of these different ideas, including the, the thought that perhaps these, these plasma lights that are seen are an actual intelligence or maybe even a new life form um, of their own. So there are other people out there that are doing some interesting things outside of the what we would consider, I guess, mainstream for our fringy kind of topic, but they are not maybe as well known. Like they're not yeah. like the UFO, the people that are in the, you know, in, in the celebrity status. Yeah, so yeah. I try to mention them. I try to push people like that as much as well because um, I, I don't think many people, as many people who should know them or, or might be interested in them might come across them. So... Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm hopeful for the future as well. Okay, we're we are um, ten minutes over. I had one. If you guys want to stick around for a second, I had one more question. In light of what recently happened with uh, Mufon, and people are starting to talk about what is ufology, what is it? You know, where is it headed? I will read you straight off the question that I wrote out ten minutes before we went on the air. Is modern UFO study doomed? Is it stagnant, irreparable? Do we have any solutions? Do we care if there's any solutions, or do solutions just screw everything up? That's too many questions. So let's go with the first one. Is modern UFO study doomed, or should it be? Or am I, am I throwing everything into, big, uh, in, into a big bin where it should not be thrown? I, I'm just trying to concentrate on my own stuff um, and, and letting everybody else kind of do their own thing, and then I find the people that I need to 
be involved with tend to come in and out of my life as I as I need them. So I'm really I don't I I I'm not too concerned about what's going on with the greater UFO community. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't. Yes, I'm... I can't. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I'm an anarchist. Like yeah, well, you. S- you know what? Screw that question because that, that's exactly how I feel. You know, and it kind of kind of leads to my other uh, another question I had: Is it valuable to stay connected to the greater research community or not? Is it? I guess it just depends on your personality and what you want to get out of it, right? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with like I tend to be on the fringes. Like I, I lurk in a few groups, and I, I you know, and I engage people as as I need to, and sometimes I, I form really good bonds with people, but I don't. I don't feel I need to be like really in the the, the greater community. Um, I just kind of take what I need and and not worry too much about the rest and whether it's respectable or not respectable or. Right. You know. I think that's what the most of the authors of the book kind of think that the future might be in what I what I've whined about here recently: individual small groups concentrating very carefully on the thing that they're doing and not really caring what people think or who's going to come in and do a TV show on me or whatever the hell. I think the worst I can make any of you guys do is be on my show, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm lucky for that and for you know, for the writers that I'm going to have on in the next few weeks. I mean, I'll, I'm I've got other people coming on too. Anything else you guys want to say or point out or rant and rave about or ask each other or ask me or whatever? I, I will go later if you like because I don't really care about the length of these shows. It, they can be an hour. They can be five. I, I really don't care. We're not going to go five hours. Don't worry about that. Whew. Besides what Miguel said, which was a great question. <laughs> that was a brilliant question. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm going to go to maybe- sleep. Considering that, uh-huh. <laughs> there's, there's the next Thank essay you. for the for the next book, you know. So maybe uh, maybe I could say, you know, I, I really have very literal interest uh, on the path or the future of ufology as a as a group, as a movement, as, as it were. You know, I have I have already uh, received whatever whatever I have uh, wanted from it, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, and I'm moving forward. You know, I'm speaking to you guys, you know, right now. You know, I'm speaking to Greg Bishop, who was from, for some matter of my, my uh, a matter of years, you know, was my personal hero, and I've, uh, I felt, you know, wow, how in, how cool would it be, you know, to to speak to to Greg, you know, and not only have I managed to achieve that, but you know, Greg has become one of my best friends in 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 my life, you know. And I'm not talking about, you know, in the field, you know. I'm talking about my one of my best friends in this life period. And oh, cut it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah, well, the, the the field, the the good thing about it is it can bring people together, and you have a common interest. But then you 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 start talking about other things and what people are doing, how you feel about it, and then you know it becomes very personal. And I think the field should be very personal in a lot of ways because I the uh, mm-hmm. the reactions to it are so individualistic, and I think the reactions to the 
research are individualistic too, just like the witnesses are individualistic. And that has to, somehow that has to be, hmm, worked into the equation, honored. I don't know what the word is. But the, the, that diversity of opinion and viewpoint and perspective, as long as it's not pushed on people or annoying or saying that I'm right and you're not or whatever, I think that should be should be pushed front and center. And I think that's part of, that's one of the things that this book does by its very variety and the way that Robbie picked these things and placed them in the book and made them basically uh, kind of fight against each other. There, there's an internal dialogue and a discussion going on in that book without even by reading the book, you engage in that dialogue just because of the, the variety of uh, perspectives. There is that, and I dare say there is uh, something much more intricate and profound than that. I mean, I dare say that use this book or use this, uh, this passion as something to improve yourself. You know, this is something that, that I try to convey in my own personal essay. And I have managed to do that. You know, I'm, I'm speaking with people that I admire that I, you know, see as my peers, as, as my mentors. Yeah, me too. And that is something, yeah, and that, is something that, that everyone that, that is listening to this can do. And that yeah. is something beautiful, yeah. you know. Magic. Yeah. Mag- exactly. It's magic. Magic is the way to use thoughts and ideas in order to explore the world and, is, and in order to expand yourself into something more than you could ever envision yourself to. So this is what we're doing, you know? So (laughs) if something as trivial or nonsensical as lights in the sky can do that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. The sky is the limit, (laughs) you know? So, So that's what we're doing. And, you know, if someone who right now can pick the book on Amazon or 10, 20, 30 years from now or maybe 50 years from now when the world is, you know, crumbled to dust and they find, you know, some <laughs> kind of like dust in a copy of UFO reframing the debate, you know, you know, buried in some kind of like bunker after the world went to some awful <laughs> you know, the world war or whatever. Right. If someone can pick that up and try to to realize what we're, we we were trying to convey, and they get it, that's 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 the message. You know, that's what we that that's a, a, at least what I was trying to do. You know. Yeah. That's enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just went to Amazon to see if there were more inter- uh, reviews by somebody who hadn't actually written in the book. One just popped up today. I want to read the review. Is that okay with you guys? Okay. Yeah, please. Yeah. It gave us five stars. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Daniel Brigham um, wrote this. Finally, I found a group of UFO investigators that I find kinship with. The authors of this collection of essays are serious investigators. This is the first time I'm reading this. As as I read it, it's the first time I've seen it. Who are not Mm -hmm. cheerleader, quote-unquote, true believer proponents of the extraterrestrial hypothesis, nor are they debunkers. They do believe UFO phenomena is real, but we as observers are too quick to jump to conclusions as to what exactly is going on. 
Most in the UFO community believe we're being visited by aliens in pursuit of scientific research of Earth and its inhabitants. They believe aliens are flesh and blood creatures traveling in metallic spacecraft from other galaxies. No actual physical proof is available to UFO researchers because government black ops got to the scene first and collected all the evidence and stores it at Wright-Patterson or Area 51. While none of the essays contained in the book makes any claims of proof as, as to what is actually going on, many things about the UFO phenomenon share common elements with things dealing with psychic, paranormal, and or occult, the occult magic realm. Most scientists dismiss these areas as nonsense. But who said we know they're all... They're, that we know all there is to know about physics today. Bleeding edge physics is starting to take ideas like multiple or parallel universes and 11 dimensions of our universe seriously. Consciousness is another giant area where scientists have decided it's just electrical brain activity and no more. If you're willing to at least be open to the possibility that UFO phenomena is is really weird and the explanation is going to move beyond simple explanations that are purely material based like flesh-and-blood creatures flying in nuts-and-bolts spacecrafts from regions millions of light-years away, then you will appreciate this book. Again, no hard conclusions are made as to exactly what is going on, but it does invite you to entertain the possibility that it is more paranormal, which involves physics we may not know about yet, than purely physical um, phenomena involving the physics as we know it now. It may be a combination of the two. This book has the ring of truth for me. I like it a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. Yay. Yeah, Dan- Daniel G. Brigham gets it. I hate saying when somebody gets it. It's like, oh, it? Do you mean it? The reality that you're, you know, that I'm into and you're not is it? <laughs> but he he gets our, you know, I think he kind of gets our where a lot of us are coming from. And it's, you know, and the the, the breadth of uh, of opinion in the book is all the way from... What somebody might him like him might not like at all to something that's right up his alley, but the the fact is that some of it resonates with him, and maybe maybe a lot of it. So mm-hmm. I, you know, that's the there's the beauty of the book. Yeah. We're not in lockstep, and we shouldn't yeah. be. No, we shouldn't if because we're all thinking like the Borg. Then then that's over. Game over. Yeah, don't, we have yeah. to we have yeah. to come yeah. at this from different and respectfully look at each other and what we're doing and just take and build from that. You know, I love all the essays. I've read the entire book now, and 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 I love them all, even though I don't agree with some of them. But I still love. Them. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've, I was talking to Robbie about this. I don't know if it was on a show or what, but it's like, no, we shouldn't all think the same way or believe the same thing because that's just what the phenomena wants us to do. Mm-hmm. You know, uh-huh. or what you know, somewhere way deep down is keeping us from. Uh, Figuring things out is the the plurality and the and the uh, rec- recognition that there is not one point of view because if there is the eight thousand other points of view that are that have all kinds of great uh, um, resonances or, or or truths in the in the matter are 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 ignored and they shouldn't be and they can't be and the only way you can do it is kind of what Miles said multidisciplinary so uh, yeah I think that's that's what this book attempts to do. And um, we'll see what people think of it. That there's the first review, the first time put up today, um, out the gate of somebody that was not involved with the uh, production of the book, and it's it's very um, uh, encouraging to me to see that. So yeah, thank you, thank you for reading it. Yes, thanks, thanks, yeah. Dan, for reading it. I hope you listen to the show at some point. Maybe I'll put a comment down there and say we talked about you on the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Okay, I will um, let you and the audience go. Thanks so much, um, Susan and Miguel and Miles, for being on for this first round of uh, talks about uh, this book we're all in, UFOs Reframing the Debate. And um, I'll talk you. to you. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you all very soon. Let's see. Whose turn is it to pick the music? Miles hasn't been on in a while. Yeah. Oh, but I immediately thought of the last thing I suggested. <laughs> what? What was that? Uh, either of my two favorite Luton Brothers songs. Either um, uh, Atomic Power or um, Pray to the Lord when you see those flying saucers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Buchanan Brothers. Oh, I get them confused. There's another. The Lynn uh, Buchanan Brothers. I've got uh, Atomic Power, a power greater than atomic, and when you see those flying saucers. <laughs> when you see the saucers. Of course you want to hear that one. All right. Thanks again, all of you. Uh, it's Radio Mysterioso. We will ba- be back again next week or before even next week um, with our next round of talks here. Uh, thanks once again, and I'll talk to all you guys soon. Here's the Buchanan Brothers with um, When You See Those Flying Saucers. Thank you all. All right. Yeah. Gracias. Gracias. Thanks. Good night. Good night. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> You better pray to the Lord when you see those flying saucers. It may be the coming of the judgment day. It's a sign there's no doubt of the trouble that's about. So I say, my friend, you'd better start to pray. They're a terrifying sight as they fly on day and night. It's a warning that we'd better mend our way. Pray to the Lord when you see those flying saucers. It may be the coming of the judgment day.